to the Lord. And so anyways, uh, Merry Christmas uh, to each and every one of you. If you're joining us uh, for the first time, whether here or online, uh, you don't know who I am. My name is Pastor Tony, but everybody calls me PT. And so if we can greet one another one more time, can we turn to each other, give each other a high five and say, we're all in this together. Now, the reason that I have us say this is to remind each other that no person is an island, but that we are a family united uh, together here in Jesus Christ. Now, during this time of year, during this season, there's something that we can't escape, that we are actually inundated with Christmas music. Whether you like it or not, that's something that wherever we go that we hear all the time. And so I want to begin this morning by asking for each and every one of us to try and think, what is your favorite Christmas song? Maybe it's a song that you just heard right now. And I want you to think, why is that your favorite song? And then I want to give us a minute just to share that with the person next to us. So just a quick minute, share it with the person next to you. What's your favorite Christmas song and why? Now, just for the sake of time, I know it's very short. I need to cut it. Uh, maybe afterwards, this will be an opportunity when you have fellowship to be able to share in more detail with uh, one another. Now, as I was thinking about this, I was actually searching online to look at different surveys of what people uh, said and polls that actually uh, people responded to say that this is their favorite or their top Christmas song. And many of the surveys that I looked at, I was surprised to see that always in the top were two people. It was Britney Spears and Mariah Carey. And the songs that they sing is called My Only Wish This Year and All I Want for Christmas Is You. And so these two songs, if any of you know these songs, uh, actually talks about this aspect of love. That despite all of the songs that we hear in Christmas during this season of giving and receiving presents, of hearing uh, merry and jolly and happy songs, that the top songs that I come across is songs about love. And again, in receiving love and being loved and to give love. To be loved and to love. And so when we come to church on Christmas Day, I believe that many times you'll hear messages like this, that John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. That God did not just send his Son for the entire world because he loves the world, but he loves you specifically. And so there's this question, is this what Christmas is about? Is it about Love, about God's love. Now, I think that this is very important, and I think that this is a central part in understanding what Christmas is about. But I believe that Christmas is more than just love, that it's about something that's greater. Now, a recent poll by Ipsos asked in this past month more, or they 
published the results asking over a thousand adults this question. Do you believe that the majority of Americans have lost the true meaning of Christmas? And I want to ask that question to each and every one of us. What do you guys think? Do you agree that the majority of Americans have lost the true meaning of Christmas? Now, the survey overwhelmingly actually showed that 75% said yes, that they believe that the majority of Americans have forgotten the meaning of Christmas. Now, this survey didn't go into detail to explain what the meaning of Christmas is, but there was this understanding when people took the survey and what they believed was the true meaning of Christmas that the majority of Americans believe we've actually forgotten or have lost that original understanding of what Christmas is about. Now, I believe that one of the best portrayals of what most Americans believe Christmas is about is found in this movie called Talladega Nights. Has anybody watched this movie? Okay, not many of you. Okay, so this is good. You'll get a glimpse in this clip of what pretty much I believe the majority of Americans' understanding of what Christmas means and what Christmas is about. So let's take a look at this clip together. Dear Lord, baby Jesus, or as our brothers to the south call you, Jesus, we thank you so much for this bountiful harvest of Domino's, KFC, and the always delicious Taco Bell. I just want to take time to say thank you for my family, my two beautiful, beautiful, handsome, striking sons, Walker and Texas Ranger, or TR as we call them. And, of course, my red-hot smoking wife, Carly, who is a stone-cold fox, mm. who if you were to rate her on 100, it would easily be a 94. Mm. Also, I want to thank you for my best friend and teammate, Cal Naughton Jr., who's got my back no matter what. Shake and bake. Dear Lord, baby Jesus, we also thank you for my wife's father, Chip. We hope that you can use your baby Jesus powers to heal him and his horrible leg. And it smells terrible, and the dogs are always mm. bothering with it. Mm. Dear tiny infant Jesus. Hey, um, you know, sweetie, Jesus did grow up. You don't always have to call him baby. It's a bit odd and off-putting to pray to a baby. Well, look, I like the Christmas Jesus best, and I'm saying grace. When you say grace, you can say it to grown-up Jesus or teenage Jesus or bearded Jesus or whoever you want. You know what I want? I want you to do this grace good so that God will let us win tomorrow. Dear tiny Jesus, your golden fleece diapers with your tiny little fat balled up fist pawing. He was a man. He had a beard. Look, I like the baby version the best. Do you hear me? I win the races and I get the money. Ricky, finish the damn grace. I like to picture Jesus in a tuxedo t-shirt because it says like I want to be formal, but I'm here to party too. Because I like to party, so I like my Jesus to party. I like to picture Jesus as a ninja fighting off evil samurai. I like to think of Jesus like with giant eagle's wings yeah. and singing lead vocals for Leonard Skinner with like an angel band. And I'm in the front row and I'm hammered drunk. Hey, Cal, why don't you just shut up? Yes, ma'am. Okay. Dear eight pound, six ounce, newborn infant Jesus, don't even know a word yet. Just a little infant and so cuddly, mm. but still omnipotent. Mm. We just thank you for all the races I've won and the $21.2 million. Woo! 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 Ow! Love that money that I have 
accrued over this past season, also due to a binding endorsement contract that stipulates I mentioned Powerade at each grace. I just want to say that Powerade is delicious mm. and it, it cools you off on a hot summer day. And we look forward to Powerade's release of Mystic Mountain Blueberry. Mm. Thank you for all your power and your grace, dear baby God. Amen. 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 Let's dig in. All right. Now, some of you may be wondering why in the world is PT showing uh, this clip? Well, I believe that at the very heart of it, this is really the state and the reflection of, again, of what we understand to be actually not Christianity, but cultural Christianity. That Christmas, that this very day, is not really about Christ, but it's actually about us, what we want and what we desire. And so when we come to actually either church or come before God in our prayers, the focus many times is not what God wants and what God desires for us according to his word, but it's what, what we want and what we desire and then we ask and we demand of. And so what we find is that I think many times that if you were to compare Santa Claus with Jesus Christ, that you wouldn't find much of a difference. That both are gift givers who are actually making this list and checking it twice, seeing whether or not we're naughty or nice. And that if we're actually good and we do good things or we come to church and we serve and we do all of this and this checklist is checked off, then we believe that we are deserving of God's blessings in our lives, that God would give us health, wealth, and prosperity. And so if we were to examine actually our faith, what does our faith and even our prayers look like? This is why the German philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche, I believe that he taught this. When we take a look at this quote, he, he writes, when we worship God, we are really worshiping our own virtues. What he's essentially saying is, is that when we worship God, we're actually worshiping ourselves. And biblically, what we see throughout scriptures is that when we actually worship ourselves, that that is a form of idol worship. That God says that you will not have any other gods before me. And so this question is being posited to us this morning. Does the God we worship actually reflect the God of the Bible? Or does the God we worship reflect who we are? When we worship God, are we simply worshiping ourselves? And we need to actually, on this Christmas day, really take a moment to examine this and examine our hearts. You know, when uh, our family or my wife and I, we live back in Chicago, my uh, wife uh, was studying in Wheaton uh, Bible College. And so she was taking a, a class uh, where she was trying to uh, complete her master's in counseling. And she had a class with a renowned New Testament scholar by the name of G.K. Beale. And so I remember her sharing with me all the time when she went to that class that this was one of the boringest classes that she's ever attended. And I don't know if, uh, Dr. Beale, you're watching this, I apologize. But I would say that his writing is some of the most prolific, uh, actually, text I've ever read. So even though, again, this class uh, that she took on the New Testament, that uh, she shared that there wasn't much that she received, that as she was taking that class, I began to get interested to see more and more of his writings. And one of the most uh, or greatest known works that he's written is a text called We Become What We Worship. 
a biblical theology of idolatry. And I want to take a look at what he says. This is what he says. He says that God has made humans to reflect him. But if they do not commit themselves to him, they will not reflect him, but something else in creation. I don't know if the quote uh, is up or not, but at the core of our beings, we are imaging creatures. It is not possible to be neutral on this issue. We either reflect the creator or something in creation. And so he continues on as he says this. He writes that, if we look at this next quote, that what people revere that they resemble either for ruin or restoration. Let me say that one more time. That what people revere, they resemble either for ruin or for restoration. So once again, let me rephrase the question that I posited earlier. As Christians, do we resemble this world which actually will lead us to ruin? Or do we resemble Christ who leads us to restoration, who restores us in the way that God created us in his image, that who God wants us to be, that who we actually desire to be is in whom God made us in the way that he created us, in the image of the Mago Dei, in the image of God the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, that in his very essence and function, that he is very relational, and that is who we are, that we worship a God who desires relationship, to be in relationship. And so what G.K. Beale ultimately is saying is, ultimately we need to check ourselves before we wreck ourselves. Can you turn to the person next to you and say, check yourself before you wreck yourself. <laughs> and why we need to do this is because once again, this question, are we worshiping ourselves into ruin? Or are we worshiping God who actually is able to lead us into restoration? So what we find in the Old Testament in the book of Isaiah is this prophecy about the birth of the coming Messiah. And so when Isaiah, the prophet, writes this, he's actually writing 700 years before the actual birth of Jesus Christ. And we see this in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. And so I'm going to be reading a couple of chapters from Isaiah, starting with chapter 7. Uh, this is something that maybe many of us are very familiar with. It says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel meaning God is with us. Then he continues on, then if we look at uh, two chapters later in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 through 7, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And so, in the context of this passage, we see that the coming Messiah, the coming King, the Savior of the world, is actually a child who's going to be born. And not only is it going to be a child who's going to be born, but through this child that there's going to be peace in the government, in the kingdoms of this world, and on this earth. 
And what we're actually seeing is that why is there such an emphasis on peace in which this child is going to bring? Because in the context of what is happening during this time is that Israel, God's people, is surrounded by the Syrian kingdom. The Syrians are attacking them and they're constantly at war. And this is what we see again Later in verse 12, in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 12, that the Syrians on the east and the Philistines on the west devour Israel with open mouth. For all this anger, uh, his anger has not turned away and his hand is stretched out still. So what is happening again is that in the backdrop, in the background of this prophecy is this utter destruction and utter war and utter chaos that is happening where the Israelites don't have a sense of peace or security, that they're surrounded by death and despair. And in the midst of this darkness, what Isaiah gives is this prophecy about this Messiah who's going to come to bring salvation to the world. And so what Isaiah is doing in the midst of during his time is that he's crying out. He's asking this question that he's lamenting to God and to the people of God. That where is the hope of this world in the midst of all of this death, in the midst of what is happening in the lives of those who are believers, and not just believers, but everyone in this world, that there's such unrest. He says, where is the hope? He says, where is the peace? And ultimately, Isaiah, if you read it, he's crying out, where is the justice that he sees injustice happening throughout the world? And then what we see is that 700 years later, we see God answering Isaiah's cry and fulfilling this prophecy in Luke chapter 2. In the fulfillment of God's promise that peace will come to this earth through the birth of a child. So in Luke chapter 2, verses 10 through 11, this is what we see. It says, And the angel said to them, Fear not, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. You see that during a time that's not just 700 years, but after 700 years, nothing has changed. Israel is still under the rule of a new empire, a new kingdom, the Roman Empire that is oppressing the Jews. And there's constant war. And once again, there's turmoil, there's death, and there's despair. And what is the hope? And we see here, Then an angel appears after 700 years and says, fear not. Not because just simply the presence of the angel that has brought fear, but this is what is the state of the people, that they're constantly living in fear. And this angel comes to assure, saying that no longer do you need to live in fear. It says, fear not, because I bring you good news of great joy in the midst of all of this news that you're hearing of oppression, of injustice, of death and despair, of sickness, that there's good news and there's joy for all of the people 
not just for the Jews, those who are believers, but that there is hope of no longer being afraid, of living in fear, that there's good news, and that you can experience great joy. Because, just as we read in verse 7, I mean, verse 11, it says, because unto you this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ Jesus the Lord is born. The promise that God gives in Isaiah and in Luke is not just a child that is born to Mary and Joseph. But it says, unto you. Luke says, unto you a child is born. In Isaiah, it says that a child or a son has been given to whom? It says, been given to us. That we have received this child and this son into our lives. That this gift that God gives is not just to Mary and Joseph, but it's to all of us. That Jesus Christ, God's one and only son, that God gives us the greatest gift of himself to you and I. And it's through this child that through his birth of coming from heaven to earth, that we can experience peace on earth. God gives to us his son, the son of God. And this is ultimately what the meaning of Christmas is. That we can actually receive the son of God into our lives. And that through the son in Jesus Christ, that there's good news of great joy. That we're free from sin and death. That we no longer need to live in fear. That this is good news of great joy. Hallelujah. How many of us truly believe this? That on this day, that there's great news of great joy for all of the people. For everyone. And not just some. You know, uh, yesterday my family, that we decided to actually open up our presents early on Christmas Eve rather than on Christmas Day. Uh, the reason that we did that is because our children kept on bothering and nagging my wife and I, saying, oh, no, like, you know, Christmas Day is a Sunday this year. So then when can we open up our presents? We can't wait. Like, almost every day they're just sitting under the Christmas tree waiting to open up the presents. They're like, oh, you know what? Actually, Christmas Day is at midnight, you know, so that at 12.01 we can open up our presents, right? And we're like, no, 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 you can't do that. Okay, can we wake up at 3 or 4 a.m. to open up our presents on Sunday morning? We're like, no, like, there's no way we can't do that. And the big reason is, is that we have actually in our family a tradition that before we open our Christmas presents, that as a family we worship together. That we give thanks, something that we're thankful for, that we sing, and then I share a word with them, and we worship God together, and we pray before we open the presents. And so when my kids uh, were... Uh, worshiping together, and the message that I kind of shared with them, I had asked this question to them. I asked them simply, what's the difference between Santa and Jesus Christ? And so the, after all of these answers, one of our kids said that the difference is, is that Santa gives physical gifts while Jesus gives spiritual gifts, that he gives us the gift of eternal life. And I said, yes, that's true. But the biggest difference is this, is that Santa is not a God, but that Jesus himself is God. And he doesn't just give us gifts, 
that he gives us the greatest gift, which is the gift of himself, and that we can have a relationship with the God of this universe who created everything, and he gives us himself. See, this is the greatest gift we can ever receive. It's not just simply salvation and eternal life, but the greatest gift that we receive is actually God himself, that God himself sends his one and only son, that when we believe in him, that God actually enters into your life, that he lives inside of you and he lives through you, and that he's not just beside us, around us, but he's inside of us. That's why Jesus is always with us. And that through the power of the Holy Spirit that fills us, that we are able to do great and mighty things. You see, in 1920, there was an American zoologist by the name of uh, uh, Essa Schaefer. And there was something fascinating that uh, Schaefer had observed that as he was studying, uh, in a sense, an amoeba that was placed in this uh, cylindrical surface, what he noticed that this amoeba kept on uh, like turning in spirals all the time. So he tried to study this and understand what's going on. And so he tried this t- to apply this to humans. And so what he did was he asked one of his closest friends, and some of you may know this study is he blindfolds his friend and he asks him simply for maybe roughly about an hour, can you just walk a straight line? His friend's like, of course, that's not a big deal, that's not an issue. But as he's walking, what eventually happens, and he notices, is that he starts to turn. And then he starts to walk in circles when ultimately he runs into a tree and he falls down. And this is a map of exactly what uh, was traced in regards to his friend. And so he continues to study this, and not just him, but as he published this and he released his results, so many other scientists were so curious about this, that this can't be right. And so they did multiple studies. They actually blindfolded someone to go swim in a straight line, but what they found out was the same exact thing, just going in circles, swimming in circles. Then they blindfolded somebody in a car and just said, just drive straight, don't turn, just hold the steering wheel. But surprisingly, it just kept on spinning in circles over and over again. And even surprisingly, till this day, scientists are constantly publishing and even arguing over this that there's no answer, that scientists can't even explain why this is, that there's something innate in every single one of us that when we're blindfolded, that when we are in a sense in darkness, that we cannot go straight that we, in a sense, turn, that we have this profound inability to stick to a straight line when blindfolded. And therefore, that is why there's this need in every single one of us to actually be able to focus on something that is objective, that does not move, in order to be able to reach the destination in which we are headed towards. And so unless we have a fixed point that we set our sights on that guides us and directs us, this is what happens in our life, that we're not able to walk straight towards the goal that we have set before us. And so this is true, I believe, spiritually as well, that unless we have God to guide us, that unless God is our true north, that we set our sights on, then we're not able to walk straight, to have purpose and true meaning in our lives. But we'll be constantly wandering around in circles, walking in darkness, 
being lost. And this is why we see in Luke chapter 2, verse 12, that God gives us a sign. The purpose of this sign is to guide us and it's to direct us. It says in Luke chapter 2, verse 12, And this will be a sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. This amazes me because the word actually Christmas has the word Christ in it. And yet when you ask people and you look at surveys on what Christmas means to them, many times Christ is the last thing on their list. I believe that we miss Christ because Christmas, once again, has become about us and not about Christ. The word Christmas actually comes from two words. It comes from Christe Messe, which means Christ's sacrifice. And what we're reminded of in verse 12 is that Jesus isn't just this sweet little baby sleeping on the hay. But what we see is a picture of Christ's sacrifice and why he came into this world. You know, when uh, Ruth was pregnant uh, with our first child, we were living in uh, southern Taiwan. And during that time years ago where we lived, that it, it wasn't, I would say, that modern uh, that the hospital that we were going to uh, was uh, lacking in a, a lot of ways. There was a one time where my wife actually fell, and we were uh, really scared that like she was crying, so we rushed to the hospital. And we were surprised at the hospital that we went to because what happened is, is that it was a pretty large room, and we were with all of these other beds and other patients, and simply the doctor walks in and just shuts the curtain, pretty much. It's just a curtain. And then is talking with us. But at the same time, we can't hear him because we hear all of the other patients and doctors talking behind the curtains. And we're hearing all of these diagnoses and everybody else who's sick. And we're like, oh my gosh, is this where our baby's going to be born? And so we really had to pray and to think through this. And we said, like, we can't uh, stay here. We need to come back to the U.S. And let me tell you how much different it was when we came to, back to the States uh, we were in Nashville, Tennessee, where my in-laws lived, and that's where we decided to have uh, Hope, our first child. And we actually had her in a hospital where the room they gave us was called the princess room. And the nurses told us that, do you know who was actually born in this room a month prior to actually when your daughter will be born? It's actually Nicole Kidman's daughter, Sunday. That the same room, the same doctors and the facilities that your child will be born is the same one that Nicole Kidman was actually in this room. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. And I was reflecting and thinking about this, wow, like, man. That God had a choice. For his one and only begotten son to be born. That he could have chose his son to be born at maybe the Hilton or the Ritz-Carlton. But chooses a manger. Why? Why would he do that? Why would God sacrifice to do that? When I think about myself, that I wouldn't even do that. And yet God does that. Why? It's because God's love for you and I 
as a sign that his son would be born in a wooden manger. Because ultimately, that that is the life that Christ came to live. The purpose that he had as he came to this world was to save you and I, those who are sinners, that from a wooden manger he would go live his life, a life of sacrifice to a wooden cross, from a wooden manger to a wooden cross, from the very beginning to the very end, for the salvation of the world as a sign for us that Christ came not just simply for himself, but for you and I because of his love for us. And God did this not for those who are perfect or put together, but for those who are in need of a Savior from his birth, once again, as I shared, from a wooden manger to his death on a wooden cross, shows us that Jesus came for a reason. And this is why we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ and acknowledge that he is the reason for this season, that the true meaning of Christmas is about Christ and not about us, about God sending his one and only son, about God himself coming down from heaven to earth and sacrificing for us so that we would be saved. And be restored into a right relationship with God the Father through the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the true meaning of Christmas. It's about Jesus Christ. And so therefore, this is why we find a multitude of angels praising God in verses 13 through 14. As we take a look in Luke chapter 2, verses 13 through 14. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And so why are the heavenly hosts praising God? I believe it's because they've been waiting their entire life for this very moment for the Messiah to come while they were on the earth, that the saints before the heavenly hosts, whether or not we're talking about angels or the saints, what we're talking about is, is that, that these heavenly hosts have been waiting for this exact moment to see the Savior, the Messiah, to come to bring salvation to the world. And now the Savior has arrived, and there's a multitude of hosts praising and rejoicing that finally, after all of these years, finally, there's hope, and there's peace, and there's good news, and there's great joy. And then what we see is that actually this peace, even though it's for everyone, that in verse 14 we see that not everyone receives this peace. Even though it's for everyone, it's meant for everybody, not everybody receives it. Because what we see in verse 14 is this, that peace on earth and what we hear in that song, goodwill towards men, is actually adapted from this. But the real understanding of what this passage is, is, is that peace comes to those only in whom God is pleased in whom he is pleased with. And so what does that mean, that peace comes to those in whom he's pleased with? Is it those who have to actually work to actually serve and say, okay, God, I've done all these things. I try to clean up my life. I try to serve. I try to be obedient. I've done all these things for you, and therefore now are you pleased as if we're trying to earn God's pleasure. But no, what we're seeing is that once again, from the very beginning, that 
God gives to us this gift that is free through his son, Jesus Christ. And it is those who believe and have received through the works of what Christ has done on the cross that that is whom God is pleased with. That those who believe in Jesus Christ, God says that you will experience that peace that only I can give to you. And I am pleased with you. Doesn't matter in a sense of what you do. That I am pleased with you that because of what you believe in Christ Jesus, my son, and what he has done on the cross. And that when you receive that, that what my son has done is credited to you. So when I see you, I see you through the lens of the blood of Jesus Christ that has forgiven you, freed you, and saved you, and made you righteous, and made you holy. In the image of God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. This past week, uh, one of my uh, sons came to me and actually asked me uh, about a song that they've been singing in the youth group. And the song is called Seasons from Hillsong. Does anybody know that song, Seasons from Hillsong? If you don't know it, there's this crazy part where they're singing this falsetto. It's like, like the frost on the rose, winter comes for us all. I forget, I don't know how, how it is. I'm not, no, 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 it's, no, please don't clap. It's, it, it's, uh, it's embarrassing, but I'm not going to sing the chorus, but that's not the part. Uh, um, but it's, it's, it's uh, this chorus, what my son was asking was this. It says, you could have saved us in a second. Instead, you sent us a child. You could have saved us in a second. Instead, you sent a child. And then my son was saying, this makes no sense. Wait, if God could have saved us in a second, why didn't he just do that? Like, why did his son have to actually suffer and die? It says that in one second he could have just done all of that. I don't understand. This is so crazy. So I tried to answer him as best as I could, so I posited a question back to him. And I said, I want you to maybe think about it in this way, okay? If your dad and your mom were to pay somebody to actually do your homework every single day so that you would get straight A's, would you choose that or would you choose actually your mom and dad spending every single day with you helping you do your homework so that you could get straight A's. He's like, of course. I totally would choose the first option. Just pay somebody to get me straight A's. Then I said, okay, now I want you to think again, okay? What would you be missing out on if you chose that first option? He's like, hmm, okay, let me think about this. Okay, yeah. Um, I would probably, okay, I, I get what you're trying to say. Okay, I wouldn't learn anything. And that would be bad for me. Yeah, so, okay, yeah, that, I get it. I'm like, okay, is that it? What, what else? Mm, okay, let me think about it a little bit more. Okay, uh, there's something wrong morally with that, right? Like, someone else doing my homework? So I think that, again, it's not, it's not good for me morally. So that, that's not good. And then, okay, I said, yes, okay, but I want you to think about this. What you ultimately will be missing on, I want you to think about this. It's a time that you would be spending every day with your mom and dad. And then I could see him, like, struggling with it. He's like, mmm, like, ooh, like, it's like, oh, it's like, fine, okay, I choose option two. And it's like, I'm not sharing this to try to guilt you, okay, to choosing to spend time with your mom and dad. But to be honest, when I thought about this, I don't think that I'm that much different. And I don't think each and every one of us are as well. You see, a lot of times when we think about Christianity and our faith, what we truly care about is whether or not we're saved. 
from our sin and from our death. Once again, that Christmas is about us and what we want. But ultimately, what Christ desires is a relationship with you and I. If Christianity and our faith is just about being saved and about what we want, then we really need to re-examine what we believe. Jesus didn't give his life so that we would just simply believe in him, but so that we would have a relationship with God the Father who loves us. Um, I want to end with this uh, final uh, illustration. I forgot to bring my bag up. Uh, let me uh, bring this up really quick. Now, in this bag, this is maybe an illustration some of you have seen before. It's kind of well-known, but uh, in this bag, I have a glove. And this kind of uh, glove that I have is uh, from the warehouse in our church and the foundation. And so this glove is a glove that is meant for working. Uh, for uh, many different purposes. It's a pretty nice glove. I would uh, say that it probably does the purpose of what it was created for to prevent people from harm and to be able to effectively do the work that it's supposed to do. And so I look at it, it's in a sense maybe uh, like looks pretty good. And so it's meant to do a lot of work and that's what it was created for. But then if I were to tell this glove, okay, hey glove, all right, do your work. Pick up this Bible. What do we expect? Why isn't it working? Wasn't it created for this very purpose to do work? Hey, man, what are you doing? Why aren't you doing what you're created for? You know what maybe what this glove needs is some positive vibes that I need to send it its way, right? Some encouraging words. Oh, you can do it. You can do it, man. Like, yeah, oh, you're so good looking, you know? You're nothing like those other gloves that are dirty and ugly. You're so smart. Maybe it needs some encouraging words, right? And so that motivate this glove to do the work that was created to do. Okay, maybe that's not working at all. What else does it need? Maybe it needs the word of God and the spirit of God to fill it. That you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. That's the word of the Lord, man. Come on. What's going on? What's wrong with this glove? You know, maybe it, it, it needs more than that. It, you know, when I think about the word of God, we're, we're also created for fellowship, right? Fellowship. So now this glove is alone. So it needs support, right? Maybe let's see. Okay, here. This is uh, during my time when I was uh, like a fan of MMA. It's like a fighting glove, but my children put like made this into like uh, I don't know these. What are these? I don't know what this is. It's like uh, yeah. Anyways, yeah. So maybe you need maybe you need some uh, support. Maybe we need some more diversity. You got a pink uh, glove here. Some other gloves here. Like different types of gloves. Now you're in fellowship. Now you have the social group that supports you together, encouraging you together. Go lift up this Bible. What's going on? What's happening? I think that you understand what possibly I'm getting at is that this glove, in a sense, represents you and I. That unless we invite Jesus Christ into our lives, that the power of the Holy Spirit comes into us, that we will continually be wandering and not be used for the purpose that we're intended to. But when we believe in Jesus Christ and Christ comes into our lives just like this glove and enters into us, then this glove is able to do what it was created and intended for, to do the work that 
was created to do. It's the same with you and I, brothers and sisters in Christ, that when Christ comes into our lives, we're able to do more than we can ever ask or imagine, that God is able to work in and through us. So I want us to bow our heads um, as we have the worship team come up. I'm going to ask also the prayer team at this time to come up. And this is going to be a moment and a time of an invitation that I want to give, an opportunity to respond to the message this morning of Christmas, that it's about Christ and that you would not miss him. If anybody is here uh, this morning or at this time this afternoon who has never believed or accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that I'm going to give us an opportunity this morning. So can we all close our eyes and bow our heads? And so you may not fully understand everything that I've shared this morning, but if you have something that is stirring within your soul and your heart, saying that I not only want to believe, but I want to have a relationship with this God who loves me, that is able to bring this peace in my life, that you would say this prayer with me, that you could say it silently, to say this prayer right now and just repeat after me. Dear Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner and I ask for your forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead. I turn from my sins and invite you to come into my life as my Lord and Savior. Amen. And then not at this moment, but when I invite you, I'm going to ask for you to come up if you said that prayer, but not right now. Because at the same time, I do want to ask for anybody this morning that want to even recommit your lives, that you were convicted by the message this morning, that's an opportunity for you to come up, to say as a gesture or by faith and saying that I want to recommit my life to you and to be prayed for. And so as we enter into a time of worship, as we're singing, that those who have either made a commitment for the first time in your life or want to make a recommitment that Jesus, Holy Spirit, I want you to fill me. That I want to experience your presence and a relationship that I don't want to just believe you and know about you. But I want to intimately know you and give my life to spend my time and my days with you, to know the God of this universe who has created everything, that we can have a relationship with him, that you would come up. And so as we worship for those who have made that commitment, those who want to recommit, that during this time of closing worship, that you would come up to receive prayer.